Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey Nuggets fans, Ryan Blackburn here. Wanted to say a few words take a couple of minutes before listening to the rest of this podcast. I recorded a podcast with the home court press guys, uh, McCade Pearson, uh, Brian Priest. We talked about the Jazz and Nuggets in Game 5, kind of from both sides of the story. Uh, Gave some good angles on that. Game 5, looking forward to Game 6 if it does happen. But before all of that, wanted to take a couple of minutes to really address this situation that's going on in Kenosha, Wisconsin right now that the Nuggets and Jazz, they may very well boycott Game 6 in order to stand in solidarity with what's going on there. The Orlando Magic and Milwaukee Bucks already did this. Uh, They were supposed to play today at 2.30. I'm recording this at 2.50 on Wednesday afternoon. The news is already broken that the Oklahoma City Thunder and Houston Rockets will boycott Game 5 as well later this afternoon. Stand in solidarity with black people. Understand that this is more than about any particular person. That if you are listening to this and have any little bit of, the, of empathy and understanding and moral decency in your heart, that you'll understand that This is not about black people saying that they are better and need to have more attention than the rest of us. As a white person, it's about standing in solidarity and understanding that this is bigger than any single person. I stand in solidarity. Denver Stiff stands in solidarity. Continue to love each other, support each other, and listen to each other. That's the most important piece of all of this, is that black people in this country continue to feel oppressed. They continue to feel that the police brutality against them is unfair. Find out why that is. Listen to them, understand their viewpoints, and don't fight it at every turn. This should be a moral value thing, an ethical value thing, and not a political thing. Don't let it be so. Love each other, support each other, and listen to each other. Now let's get into this Game 5 recap with McCade Pearson and Brian Priest. Welcome into Home Court Press. This is your host, Brian Priest, joined by McCade Pearson, as always. How you doing, McCade? Uh, we're, we've been better, but we're moving forward. Uh, we've got Ryan Blackburn once again joining us from DenverStiffs.com. Ryan, how's your morning been? It's been pretty good. Got some coffee into me. Been, been pretty happy about the result from last night's game. Nuggets, are they're, they're putting a little bit of fear into the Jazz at this point. Happy about the results from yesterday's game? Well, that makes one of the three of us, so thanks, Ryan. <laughs> It's been it's been great though. I, I've been I've 
seen seen a lot of the blowback, and, and Jamal Murray just, just continues to show that he, like Donovan Mitchell, is one of these rising stars that, that the NBA has to continue thinking about. So it's been great to watch him. It is. It's fun to watch. I mean, as a Jazz fan, I don't love watching what Jamal Murray is doing. If they weren't playing the Jazz, he'd be an awful lot of fun to watch. Just... You know, do it against another team next time. But, guys, a lot has happened since we last spoke after Game 1. We had another 50-point game from Donovan Mitchell. Three straight Jazz wins, two of those being blowouts. And then Jamal Murray, Ryan, you've already brought him up. He continues to control the second half of close games. He scored 50 in Game 4, 42 on Tuesday. And, I mean, 42 points in a win-or-go-home game, especially in the circumstances of the bubble. That's kind of what blows me away with the Nuggets' response yesterday in the second half. These guys have been in the bubble for seven, eight, nine weeks, and I I don't know if I would say I expected them to roll over, but I would not have been surprised when the Jazz were up 15 with about nine and a half minutes left in the third quarter. Would not have been surprised at all if the Nuggets just packed it in and said, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to see the wife and the kids and the girlfriend. Uh, I, it, it was pretty impressive resilience from the Nuggets yesterday. Ryan, what were your thoughts there? Well, resilience is definitely the name of the game with the Nuggets team. Uh, throughout the years, they've they've always been a team that was a hey, we're gonna we're gonna dilly dally for three quarters, but when the fourth quarter rolls around, we are going to lock in. We're gonna make sure that we we've put ourselves in a good position, and we're gonna hold this lead through strong defense and the combination of Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. And I think we we saw that exact formula over the course of these past couple of games, except for defense wasn't there in Game Four. It was in Game Five, and the Nuggets they finally found a way to to get some stops against this this hot Utah Jazz team that just keeps shooting out of their minds. Um, that came back to earth a little bit, I think. But all the credit to Jamal Murray, he he continues to dictate the pace. He continues to get to the exact spots that he wants to. Uh, I've been very happy with with what I've seen from him. And how can't you be if you're a Nuggets fan? Yeah, you, you have to be impressed with what Jamal Murray is bringing as a Nuggets fan. McCade, what was your opinion as we were watching that second half and the Jazz were looking like they could pull away and just, you know, another second half collapse, a double-digit lead fades away and the Nuggets are able to close it out because they're a great clutch team? Well, yeah, first of all, the Nuggets are great in the clutch. And second of all, I want to give Jamal Murray all the credit in the world. Like, he's been fantastic. However, you know, I'm the Jazz side of things, so I'm looking at things from the Jazz point of view. Our defense just is missing something since we let go of some key guys from last year and put even more pressure on Gobert. The most impressive thing Jamal Murray has done in the last 96 minutes is he doesn't have any turnovers, not one. The Jazz have only forced, I believe, is it 15 turnovers over the last two games total. I think it was six and nine. Like, the Jazz have got to put pressure on the Nuggets and force some turnovers. A, that just helps your defense, obviously, but it helps you get out and B, get easy buckets. And Jamal Murray not having any turnovers while he's taking however many shots and however many assists and all that fun stuff, that is the root of the problem. Because that means he's doing whatever he wants. Shots fall, shots miss, that's life. But if you're not forcing literally one turnover, then what are you even doing? Well, this game, I, I feel like it looked a lot like the regular season matchups with the Jazz and Nuggets. And the Jazz had that lead, and, and the Nuggets are able to chip away because Jamal Murray... It was is so dynamic offensively. The Jazz defense, for whatever reason, is not able to contain him on any type of offensive set. And 
once he gets going, he I didn't realize what a heat check guy he is. I've been really impressed. I mean, 14 of 18 in the second half, scores 33 points, ends with 42, 8, and 8. We've talked about no turnovers. Ryan, what are your thoughts as, as a guy covering the Nuggets? How do you think the Jazz can stop Jamal Murray going forward? Or is that just not something they're going to be able to do? Uh, one of the things that the Nuggets did over the course of this past game was they started using the 1-4 pick and roll uh, with, with Jokic on the baseline or or in the corner as, and mm-hmm. bringing Gobert away from the play. Uh, they they used Jeremy Grant, they used Paul Millsap, they used Michael Porter Jr. as the screener. And it was, it was able to give Jamal Murray just a little bit of extra space in order to drive downhill and get to the spots that he needed to if I were the Jazz, I would blitz that action and I would get the ball out of Jamal Murray's hands immediately and force the opposing player, uh, whether it's Grant, whether it's Millsap, whether it's Porter, to make a decision with the ball. Now, if it's Porter, you probably don't feel that confident about leaving him open for three, so you have to be careful with it. But if he's on the roll, if he's on the move, and, and you're forcing him to put the ball on the deck and dribble into Rudy Gobert, then you probably feel a little bit better about it. You feel a little bit better about Jeremy Grant and Paul Millsap handling the ball as well. But those guys are all capable passers. They're all capable of making plays at the rim as well. Um, so I don't, I don't know what you do. I think there's, there's a lot of stuff that Jamal Murray has really figured out about this Jazz team that if you're, if you're Royce O'Neal, you probably just have to play a little bit better. And if you're, if you're the guy who's, who's also involved in that action, whether it's Joe Ingles, whether it's Donovan Mitchell, Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley, you have to be better. You have to be more consistent. And that goes back to what we've talked about a lot this season, is the Jazz don't have a true power forward. It's kind of Royce O'Neal. It's kind of Boyan. But the Jazz are playing Yang well into the fourth quarter yesterday. He let up a crucial three in a tie game with a little over five minutes to go. And we even heard Malone say, coming out of the timeout, hey, keep Yang in that action. John Morgan's young, but he's a little bit better. Um, but, you know, he's still a rookie. There's still obviously some questions there. And the Jazz really just miss a four to help guard whatever the Nuggets are doing on the other side. Because Gobert's great. He was pretty bad yesterday. But Gobert's fantastic for the most part of the series. And he's giving Jokic some trouble. Him and, we've talked about the him and Jokic matchup. That's, we don't need to go into that too much. But the Jazz miss a four to be able to help cover Rudy's weak side, I guess, is a good way to put it. Yeah, see, and I just I really doubt that the Jazz have the defenders capable of of shutting down Jamal Murray. I, I think when Murray has struggled in this series, it's just been because he's missing shots, not because the Jazz defense is doing anything to stop him or slow him down. The perimeter defense for the Jazz, whether it be Donovan Mitchell, Royce O'Neal, Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, Joe Ingles, it leaves an awful lot to be desired with, when you've got a dynamic playmaker like Jamal Murray and the ball in his hands a majority of the time. I mean, in just second halves this series, Jamal Murray has accounted for about 60, or sorry, about 44% of the Nuggets scoring in the second half. He's got 89 points. He's got 15 assists. He's shooting over 64% in the second half. And it's, I think that's just a direct correlation to the fact that the Jazz don't have a defender they can put on him and depend on at all, whether it's a lack of quickness when we're talking about Royce O'Neal or Joe Ingles, or a lack of size and, dare I say, desire when we're talking about Jordan Clarkson and Donovan Mitchell. It just doesn't work out. Yeah, there was definitely there were a couple of instances yesterday, one where Donovan Mitchell sought out the matchup against Jamal Murray late in the game, 
Uh, Murray went to a straight-up isolation against them and, and hit a between-the-leg step back that kind of lost Donovan Mitchell completely. He didn't even really put up a contest there. So I don't think he's a player that you want to put on Murray in the in the closing moments. I, d- I just don't know how he, how either of those guys defend each other. Uh, we've, we've seen that time and time again throughout this series. Uh, Jordan Clarkson is too small. Murray can rise up over him, and that's, that's been pretty evident. He's also... He also struggles to stay connected on those plays where, where they give him a screen. Uh, Mike Conley is obviously he may, he's a smart defender, but he may be too small as well. He may be a little bit too slow at this point, though. He, he's shown a lot of quickness on the offensive end, let me tell you. Uh, Royce O'Neal is the best option. Joe Ingles is probably the second-best option, and we saw what Murray's done to both of those guys. Uh, I'll bring stats to the table here. In the clutch so far this year uh, in the playoffs, Murray leads the NBA in total clutch points with 32. Donovan Mitchell is second with 29. Uh, they get those shots in different ways. Murray has been more beyond the arc. Donovan Mitchell has been getting to the free throw line a lot. But both of those guys, like, we, we've seen some in amazing shot making between those two. It, it, it's, you, can't, you can't say any more than these two are stars that are growing into legitimate pieces on these teams. That it, It's exciting for both franchises to see, but probably not for each other when they have to defend each other. Yeah, we've seen some videos from the bubble with Jamal Murray running into Donovan Mitchell around the hotel. and Yeah, I, I don't think either of those guys enjoy seeing each other on the court at this point. Let's talk about Royce O'Neal's defense. Let's talk about Royce O'Neal in general. I know, McCade, you and I have been real high on Royce O'Neal throughout the, his time in the bubble. He's always been a good playoff performer. I think Royce probably had his worst half of basketball of the season yesterday in the second half. Five, He picked up five quick fouls in the first 14 minutes of the second half. He was afraid to shoot, passing up numerous open looks. One of those resulted in a travel. It was similarly important to the Donovan Mitchell eight-second call from game one. And defensively, where he's really supposed to, to be that stalwart for the Jazz, not only did he get beat by Jamal Murray a few times, there were two or three possessions where he just lost Jamal Murray. He, he didn't attempt to get through screens. There was one where he, he looked to argue with a ref on an inbounds play rather than staying with Murray. Murray gets a wide-open three at the top of the key. That was frustrating from Royce. Right, McCade? Yeah, there were, yeah. it was frustrating, to say the least. Um, you mentioned that three traveled, didn't shoot it. About three minutes ago, we were down two. That just can't happen. Um, I think him and Ingles only took one shot in the fourth quarter combined in over 17 minutes. And it's just difficult when you don't have guys who are willing to be part of the offense. It kills your spacing, and it just helps the defense zero in on what's important. And the Nuggets already know that Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are important and Mike Conley is important. But it just that's what the Jazz have struggled with the last couple of years against Houston. That's what the Nuggets in the fourth quarter. They just collapsed the paint and said, all right, Donovan, beat us. We don't think you have the guts to actually get to the paint every time. And he did sometimes. He didn't sometimes. And it was just frustrating to watch. Roy specifically defensively let up a few key plays. Um, some were fluky. Oh, we tip a ball. Who gets possession? Oh, Nuggets for three. That kind of thing. But others, he just, I don't even know what the word to use is. He lagged out for a few seconds. And, <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that's fair. There was one play, like, is that a good word to use? There was one play where he literally just stood there for probably a good half a second to a second after Murray ran away from him. And you just can't have those mental mistakes. 
we were talking before we started, and I said that I think Royce is probably the second most important player for the Jazz this series. When Rudy plays well, the Jazz have won, and Rudy hasn't played well, the Jazz have lost. But Royce is probably next in line. That if Royce is doing his thing, the Jazz are really, really, really good. We saw that in the first quarter. Ingles and Royce both had eight points in a pair of threes in the first six minutes. And the Jazz went up ten, and things are good. And then when they don't, it just doesn't work. One big difference between these two teams, we talked about Joe Ingles and Royce O'Neal passing up shots in the second half. And Ryan, something I see from the Nuggets is when the Nuggets shooters are open, not even shooters, just if the Nuggets are open on the perimeter, they take the shot. They don't hesitate. Torrey Craig has hesitated a couple times, but he still puts the shot up. And with the Jazz, they they just, they almost overshare the ball sometimes. Joe Ingles had some looks, had a look or two in the corner that he should have taken. Royce O'Neal, besides that, the travel that he, he made when he didn't take the shot, there was another look in the corner that he should have taken earlier in the fourth quarter. And that's the big difference. Is I think, for whatever reason, the Jazz hesitate to take those open looks, especially as the game progresses. Whereas the Nuggets, if they're open, they're putting the ball up. Well, Michael Porter, he's never going to say no to a shot attempt, I think. I think we're, <laughs> we're in a position in this bubble now where he's, he's really had a coming out party. It hasn't been perfect, and he's been... He's been picked on, on on defense a lot, but when he's out there, he's out there to get shots. He's out there to convert on the shot attempts that he that he receives, and he, he's never going to hesitate. He's very confident with his jumper. He's only had one game in this series where he shot below 40% from three. Uh, I, I've been very high on what Michael Porter Jr. has done for most of this series, despite the fact that he's had a steep learning curve. And Jeremy Grant's another guy who I've been very high on throughout this, throughout this season as a Nuggets fan, is that Hey, you, you've got a guy who can shoot 40% from three, has a really good track record in the playoffs, can switch one through five when necessary. He's been the primary Donovan Mitchell defender, too. So that's, that's, been, that's been really impressive from him. And, and there were a lot of times in the game yesterday where he didn't make a lot of shots, but he was four of 12, and the Jazz were forced to guard him. When they didn't guard him on one specific possession, he knocked down a three. And it was probably the biggest shot of the game. The, the Nuggets and Jazz were tied at that point at, I think, 98. He hits the shot with five minutes left, uh, and the Nuggets go up 101-98, up three. And that was a big momentum thing because the Jazz wanted anybody other than Jamal Murray to shoot that ball at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they wanted to prevent Nikola Jokic from shooting, don't get me wrong, but they would be okay with Jeremy Grant shooting it. And if he's comfortable making those shots, then I'm, I'm – very comfortable as a fan letting him take them. Yeah, I remember that play. It was a left wing three from Jeremy Grant on the kickout, and he didn't hesitate at all to put that up. Now, McCade, you and I have talked a lot throughout the the first round about just the Jazz need to increase their shot quantity. Quality is great, but they've got to put up more shots. In the last two games, the Nuggets have taken 34 more shots than the Jazz. What do you think the Jazz need to do to adjust their offensive flow so that they can get more shot attempts? Yeah, and that's the thing. Is some of it has been free throws, and that's good. You want to get to the line. Um, and some of it is the Nuggets taking a lot of shots. They had 100 shot attempts in Game 4. But a lot of it is just the Jazz not getting enough shots up on their own. That's for numerous reasons. They're not great turnovers, and they don't offensive rebound well. Those are obviously the two key factors there. And I think getting out in transition more would help with that. Getting out, pushing the ball, and getting easy baskets not only helps you get shots up, but helps you make shots. And that's what scores points, and that's what wins the game. 
And then on the other side, just forcing turnovers. I already mentioned this. They've only forced, I believe, 15 turnovers the last two games. That's not a recipe for success. Um, they did a pretty good job on the defensive glass in Game 5. I think there's only nine offensive rebounds combined in the game, so yeah. that's good to see. But the Jazz have got to force turnovers, and that comes from defensive intensity and just being a little more aggressive. I know you have Rudy at the rim, and you have Quinn's system that's really, hey, let's just defend for 24 seconds, and then Rudy will make a good play. And that works for the most part, but there's a reason the Jazz has flipped from a top two or three defense to 10th, 11th-ish defense. And one of the reasons is they just haven't forced turnovers as well. They showed it last year, but this year especially, they're one of the worst in the league. And Ricky Rubio was one of the lead, leaguer, lead bleh, league leaders in deflections. And Mike Conley isn't quite that anymore. He's more of a, just a solid defender now. And so really having the guards, if they're not going to lock down Jamal Murray... Might as well be aggressive and see if you can get a hand on a few balls throughout the game. Yeah, you'd really like to see the Jazz force some turnovers, but let's let's kind of flip this here. We talked about the Jazz defense. The Nuggets defense, for the first time all series, found something for Game 5. I wonder if they're going to be able to use it going forward or if the, if the Jazz and Quinn Snyder can figure out a way to combat what the Nuggets are doing. But they allowed over 125 points per game in this series, and... They held the Jazz to 44 second-half points. Between Jeremy Grant, P.J. Dozier, and Torrey Craig, they really limited the Jazz on the perimeter. So, Ryan, is that something that you think the Nuggets, obviously they're going to try and employ that going forward, but will it continue to work as well as it did late in the fourth quarter? Uh, I, I can't really answer that. Like, if, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But the fact, the fact of the matter was that the Nuggets decided that they were going to go young that they're going to put their best athletes out on the floor and at least make the Jazz work for 24 seconds for a good shot. And I thought they did a really good job there. Jeremy Grant has done a really good job on Donovan Mitchell over the last game and a half. Or so. I mean, he's had moments. Uh, obviously, Donovan Mitchell is going to get his. He's a very good player. He has done a great job of creating shots for himself. But Jeremy Grant has made things a little bit more difficult for him, especially over this last game. Um, and then you have... P.J. Dozier and Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray, who are hustling on the perimeter. They're, they're rotating. They're trying to be as long as possible and get their hands on, on deflections and, and just try to rotate as much as possible and make the, the reads a little bit more difficult for a guy like Mitchell. Mitchell is a willing passer, but he only had five assists last night, the four turnovers. And there's a reason for that. He, his passing windows were a lot less open than they normally are. And closing up that space, putting a bunch of length on him, having Jokic come up in the pick and roll a little bit and hedge a little bit more at times, I think that Denver mixing up their coverages but doing everything at 110%, mm-hmm. that really helps. So if you, have, if you have a consistent defense that just consistently gives 100% effort and consistently makes at least the first and second rotation perfectly, then I think you've got something against the Jazz. And so the Jazz have been shooting so hot. Over the past, like, over the first four games, and it came back down to earth just a little bit. And the Nuggets—they're not going to—they're not a good defensive team. Let's be honest here; like they, they don't have the personnel to be a good defensive team. But if they can be an average defensive team that throws a bunch of athletes out there and does what they can to make the Jazz work, they're going to hope that the Jazz cool off and they cooled off in Game Five. Now, kind of tying the last two questions together, I think you're spot on there. The Jazz have shot the lights out. You know, they've shot over forty percent from three all five games been fantastic to watch but they only got up what 29 attempts yesterday i think they were 14 for 29 or maybe that was game four anyway their three-point rate is down the last couple games and that's what matters kind of going back to the shot quantity thing brian and i talk about is 
if you're going to shoot 40% from three, let's do it on 50 attempts, not 20 attempts. And the Nuggets have really put some pressure on the Jazz, and they haven't got up as many threes. Jokic is doing a little bit better of a job at just taking up space in the paint. Gobert hasn't had his best games, but that they've really clogged up the lane and clogged up the passing lanes, and it's led to some problems for the Jazz offensively. One thing I noticed, the the personnel was different for the Nuggets closing that game out. P.J. Dozier got a lot more time, and I thought his intensity was big for the Nuggets. But aside from just the personnel differences, I thought the Nuggets adjusted their scheme in the fourth quarter. And all series, they've allowed Donovan Mitchell and Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles to single out mismatches and and get uh, uh, Michael Porter Jr. or you know Paul Millsap is a guy they've attacked a lot. They get switches on Nikola Jokic on the perimeter, and the Nuggets stopped switching defensively. They, they fought over those screens. They wouldn't allow Donovan Mitchell to isolate on Nikola Jokic. There were several plays where Rudy came up and would set a screen at the top of the key, as the Jazz typically do, but rather than just dying on the screen and Jeremy Grant switching to Rudy Gobert and Jokic stepping out on, on Mitchell, Jokic Jokic would hedge that pick and roll, force Donovan to take a couple dribbles backwards, and then Jeremy Grant would get back to him and recover on that. They did the same thing with Torrey Craig, and I thought that scheme change really seemed to take the Jazz out of sorts as an offense. I don't. It didn't seem like they were prepared for the Nuggets to do that. Well, that's one of the things that the Nuggets have done against guys like Damian Lillard, uh, where you want to get the ball out of Lillard's hands if any way you can. Uh, you don't want him shooting from 30 feet. You don't want him to be able to come around the screen and, and make plays for guys uh, because Lillard is a very unselfish player. I think we've, we've seen a guy like Donovan Mitchell, like he's had his Damian Lillard jump in this bubble. Like I think you have to respect the jump shot now. He's clearly been he's been very locked in on that end. He's, he's made sure that when, when the Nuggets don't guard him out there, he makes them pay every single time. And... The Nuggets have done a good job, I think, in Game 5 specifically, of just saying, hey, screw screw what we're doing. We're going to go back to the system that we think works best against these dominant guards. And most of the time, they're very scared in those instances about giving up the backside three, about giving up open threes on the perimeter, uh, because if the Jazz are able to move the ball in that case, if, if Donovan Mitchell is able to make the pocket pass to Rudy Gobert, and then Rudy Gobert is able to make a play four on three, then it, it's a tough situation to be in. Uh, if you're the Nuggets, because you, you've got two guys out on Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert is seven foot two, and he's going down the middle of the lane with the ball in his hands. So you, you're you're scared of that if you're a Nuggets fan. I think that's an adjustment that Quinn Snyder is going to be able to make. Uh, the question is if the Nuggets can counter that off the bat, if they can make sure to have somebody waiting for Gobert in the middle of the paint. Uh, that's one of the reasons why switching has been good because a guy like Grant can guard him on a switch, mm-hmm. but. Okic obviously can't really guard Mitchell on the perimeter. He's, he's actually had a couple of instances where he's forced Mitchell into doing some dumb things, but most of the time, Mitchell is making a pay every single time. I, I talked about this earlier in the series, but the more we talk about it, I think this sounds like Jamal Murray and Donovan are playing fantastic ball offensively, and at some point, we saw Donovan try it for two possessions. He wasn't actually terrible at it, but at some point, one of these two guys is going to have to be a two-way player in this series and take control. And as you said earlier about the Nuggets defensive journal, we're not looking for great defense, but if one of these two guys can step up, be average, and force the other one to have an average game, it's going to go a long way in who wins these next game or two. I, I think Donovan Mitchell in this last game, he looked human. It's like the previous four games, he looked like Michael Jordan incarnate. But like this is game five. He, I mean, you look at the stat line, 30 points, very good, five assists, 
fine as the primary playmaker. And uh, before turnovers, that was something that we hadn't seen before. And then he was 11 of 23 as opposed to 17 of 23 or 18 of 23. And, and it's those extra possessions that the Nuggets were able to get that really made the difference in this game. Uh, if the Jazz can turn Jamal Murray into that, if they can drag his 17 of 26 down to 12 of 26 or 11 of 26 and, and get a couple of extra points that way, then I think you're absolutely right. I think that they're, they're going to have a little bit of a better time in that case. Uh, I don't know which of these teams truly stops the other guy, though. Like, I, I think that those guys are locked in so much. Well, we've really seen two stretches in this series where teams locked in defensively. The Jazz did it in the third quarter. It might have been the fourth quarter in Game 4 and were able to get that win. And then the Nuggets were able to do it late in the fourth quarter of Game 5. Outside of that, neither team has, has played really any semblance of defense. So, yeah, I think that's that's going to be the key going forward is who can piece together a five, six, seven, eight-minute stretch where they, they get some stops, they score on the other end, and, and put some distance between themselves. Game six is going to be huge for the Jazz because I, I really think that if, if the Jazz don't come out prepared to uh, attack the Nuggets and put the pedal down, if they lose game six, I have a really hard time seeing them winning game seven just because of the way they struggle in clutch moments. And in close games, they've, they've shown all season they haven't been able to beat the Nuggets. One in five in close games against the Nuggets this year. And that, that's just not good. And I don't even think that's a fluke. Oh, you know, the coin flipped the wrong way. I think it's a real thing at this point. The Jazz struggle to close games. The Nuggets with Jokic are probably the best at it. They just can, The way they use Jokic just allows them to continue running their offense instead of trying to play hero ball, and it works brilliantly. Yeah, you get, you get into a situation yesterday where, where they start isolating Jamal Murray just because he has it going. But more often than not, they'll involve Nikola Jokic in every single action. They'll make sure that he's dictating what exactly is going on on the floor. Uh, it hasn't even really been about just those guys, though. It, it's been about Michael Porter Jr. and Jeremy Grant kind of coming into their own as, as the guys that you want out there in clutch time, despite the fact that Michael Porter Jr. is going to do some stupid things. Like, Having two six foot nine and taller forwards who can shoot forty percent from three in the clutch, it forces the Jazz to space the floor defensively in a way that they don't want to. They want to be able to collapse on that Jamal Murray Nikola Jokic action, mm-hmm. but they can't do it if the floor is spaced the way that it is. So, I I'm interested in seeing in Game Six whether Quinn Snyder decides to send another guy there. Uh, if PJ Dozier is going to close the game again, then you're probably going to want to double off of him. But if you, if you give Michael Porter Jr. an out of space, he's very comfortable taking all of those shots. If you give Jeremy Grant some space, he shot the ball well in this series, and I don't think that's a fluke at all. So I wonder what your guys' thoughts are about what the Jazz can do in clutch time that, that can slow down Denver, that can, that can really give them an opportunity in this game to get some stops against Jamal Murray. I think Is this an off-season question? Uh, it might be, honestly. Like, if, if the personnel isn't there and, and Jamal Murray just continues to dictate some stuff, then, then that, might, that might just have to wait until the offseason, and it may just be whoever can score the most points. So far, it's been the Jazz, but that's been aided by a couple of blowouts, I, I think. Um, no, I think you just got to have Royce do Royce things, and Royce has to get back to being a good defender that we've seen it numerous times throughout the year. Or Ingles has to give all his athleticism he has left in the tank and use his length a little bit. Um, I don't know how much Ingles has left in the tank from an athleticism standpoint, but whatever he has, let's use that. 
you just try what you've been trying and change up some minor things and hope the guys can do it. Brian, you were going to say something? I think based on what we've seen so far in this series, the natural adjustment for the Jazz right now in terms of personnel is... I think Jawan Morgan gets some more minutes in the fourth quarter, possibly over a guy like Joe Ingles. Since since Conley has come back, Ingles has struggled on both ends of the floor a little bit more. It, when he's not the primary ball handler on offense, he just, I don't know if he's less engaged or if he doesn't get as many looks, but he doesn't play as well with Mike Conley on the floor. That has been the case all season. And then defensively, I think you, you've got to put a little bit more size on the floor because that closing lineup for the Jazz, the only person capable of defending Nikola Jokic at all is Rudy Gobert. At least with Juwan Morgan, you might be able to steal three or four possessions when you, you need to. And Morgan's rebounding and just hustle, I think, has been really important. So I'm not saying that I think Morgan would play the last three minutes of a two-possession game, but I think... You know, minutes 12 through 5 in the fourth quarter, I could see Jawan Morgan replacing Joe Ingles a little bit and getting some more run just so that they have more options defensively because right now they're very limited. Ryan, you talk about the size that the Nuggets are throwing out there with multiple power forwards on the floor. I mean, I don't know how often we've seen in this series Jordan Clarkson trying to defend Jeremy Grant in the post, and it's just not something that works very well for the Jazz. So, yeah, I, and this is just based on what we've seen in the series so far, but I, I think Jawan Morgan deserves more minutes when the Jazz are struggling defensively like, like they were with Jamal Murray. So what would, what would your clutch lineup be? If, if, you're, if you're coming down to it, if, I think the Nuggets found their group yesterday with uh, Murray, Dozier, Porter, Grant, and Jokic. What would your clutch unit be to match that? McKay, do you want to take that one? <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's a, a tough, tough one. one. Um. Because I'm a firm believer, and the stats back this up, the fourth quarter is not that important. If you want to win a game, dominate the first three quarters, and you don't have to worry about the fourth quarter. Go look up the Bucks' stats by quarter, and you'll see what I'm talking about. And so if we get to the clutch, I'm just scared out of my mind already because we should have beat you in the first 43 minutes. That being said, I have a hard time figuring out how you don't go Conley, Mitchell, O'Neal, Ingles, Gobert unless you want to go a big guy like Morgan for Ingles or figure something out. But I think the main adjustment has to be to not get into the clutch and see if what you can do the first four to three minutes, see what you can do to get Ingles rolling. I'm a huge, huge Ingles guy, and I hate Ingles on this team because there's just not enough possessions to go around for him to be the player that he is. But that's a tough one. You've just, without Boyan, you just kind of got to roll with your other five quote-unquote starters and just hope that you guys are better than them the last five minutes of the game. And that comes back to Quinn Snyder having some struggles late game and Mike Malone being a genius late game and just hoping you can figure it out one time, well, a second time now. Because as great as coaching can be in the last five minutes, at the end of the day, clutch games are a lot of luck. It's, oh, the shot went in, that shot didn't. And so you just do what you can and just hope the ball bounces your way. See, and that's crazy that, that you talk about Quinn Snyder having late game struggles over, over on the Nuggets side. We've been really impressed with what we've seen from him. He's had a lot of great adjustments. One of the reasons why the jazz went up three to one in the manner that they did was because of the design of the offense that they had out there. Uh, the, one of the unstoppable plays that they've been able to run uh, involves a, a Quinn Snyder special. So th- we've been, we've been really impressed with what we've seen from him. It sounds like you guys are really impressed with what you've seen from Malone. Yeah, so I love Malone. 
personally. I think he's awesome. And I'm a huge Quinn guy. I think Quinn Snyder is the best out-of-game coach in the league. The confidence he puts into his players, the base systems he puts in, the player development, it's all fantastic. The game-to-game adjustments are fantastic. But once you get into that 48 minutes and you get into the third quarter, you get into the final two minutes, I think he can have some struggles. Um, Late-game scenarios and that kind of thing. So let me be clear. I think Quinn's great, top five, top ten coach in the league. As I said, I think he's the best coach out of those 48 minutes, but there are some concerns that I have in those 48 minutes, and we've seen them play out over those six close games the Jazz have played the Nuggets this season. See, and I attribute the Jazz struggles in the clutch and the Nuggets' success in the clutch more to just the players on the floor. When it comes down to it, the Jazz really only have Donovan Mitchell that can create for himself, whereas the Nuggets have Murray and Jokic, and then they've built a team around those th- those two guys that gives them a lot of options on the offensive end. But yeah, as, as the clock ticks away, the the Nuggets just have more options. So I don't I don't give that much credit to Mike Malone in those situations, and I don't take much away from Quinn Snyder in those situations. It's just that's what they're able to do. Yeah, the Nuggets have done a really good job of building a team around Murray and Jokic to help them succeed. Uh, a lot of their best lineups have come when they've faced the floor a lot. Uh, but there, there was even a play yesterday that, that resulted in, in a turnover, a missed shot. It was, it was the, the alley-oop to Jeremy Grant that he missed. Uh, that was an out-of-timeout designed play by Michael Malone, and, and he, he's had a lot of these good moments late in games where he's stealing points. And, and it didn't result in points this time, but he's, he's stealing points with a good possession here or there. there. There are a couple of times where he ran Jamal Murray off of a baseline screen and, and got him a corner three. Uh, he made a good adjustment in using the one-four pick and roll. So I think that there are definitely some signs there that he, he's being very tactical. Uh, Nuggets fans should hear that because, and I know this, this is going to go up on Denver Sisk. Nuggets fans, you sh- it, should, it should be notified that Michael Mullen has had a pretty good series in terms of adjustments now. It, it happened a little bit late, but it, it, it's happening, and, and the Nuggets are in a good position because of it. Well, I think the Nuggets were forced into some of those adjustments based on what the Jazz had done. And just personnel-wise, uh, you look at who the Nuggets played in the second half. They only played eight guys. Murray and Jokic both played 24 minutes the entire second half, and Jeremy Grant only sat for one minute in the second half, and that was something that, that was an adjustment that I think kind of took the Jazz by surprise, it seemed like. I'm not sure why it would have, because you know that the Nuggets have to do everything they can. It's win or go home. So Yeah, they're down 15 with nine minutes to go in the third quarter. What else are they going to do? Yeah, I, like it should have been expected, but I don't. I didn't feel like the Jazz starters were expecting to to have to play that much you know Gobert played the entire second half as well and honestly that might be the first time in his career that Rudy Gobert has played 24 consecutive minutes yeah no and it's going to be a really fun next game or two I don't have a lot of confidence in the Jazz blowing the Nuggets out which means they got to figure out a way to win the close game and the Jazz intensity just has to be better they were up 15 in the third quarter and just got kind of lazy, just kind of started going through the motion. Mm-hmm. And the Nuggets, who probably had a plane waiting outside the arena, decided, you know what, we got a couple more days in us. And they had the intensity for 24 straight minutes, and they won the game. And props to them. I'm interested to see if Jokic and Murray can go 40, 45 minutes the rest of the way. Um, the Jazz will have to match that a little bit in Game 6. And if it gets to a Game 7, obviously the Jazz are going to be in the same boat. Um, 
So we're going to let the stars decide the series, and that's how the playoffs should be, and it should be really exciting next couple of, I'm going to say game, but it's probably game. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we'll see. I, I think the Nuggets, their, their mentality has been to take this thing one at a time, and, and they had to win game five, so they won game five. They have to win game six now, and there's, there's no other thing that they can do other than win or go home. And I, I really do think that this team has the mentality when they're locked in that they can do those things. They've always put their back against the wall in the regular season. They're a, they're a third quarter, fourth quarter team for a reason. And I, I think that really bears out when, when their backs get against the wall. Uh, so can't count them out until they're out. I, I think we've, we've learned that and that even when, even when they're losing in game four, Jamal Murray is still having 50 points and, and trying to will them as much as possible. Uh, so we're going to see. I, I, this, this series has been a lot of fun, and and despite the, like I, I want to eliminate games two and three from my mind, mostly three. Game <laughs> two is just lights out shooting from the Jazz, but yeah, game two is fluky. If if we eliminate game three from the the repertoire, like I, I really do think that this series would be just a, a complete epic. Uh, the Nuggets are are in a good position now, though. That they just have they they know what they have to do, and if they don't do it, then they're going to lose. The couple things that give me hope for the Jazz going forward in Game 6 is offensively, in spite of the fact that they did struggle in the fourth quarter and just the second half in general, I still felt like when they would move the ball, they still got the shots that they wanted. They they weren't getting bad looks. The Nuggets' defense wasn't wasn't so good that they were taking everything away from the Jazz. So just move the ball and run the offense, and you're still going to get open looks, and those shots are going to fall. They, the roster is filled with good shooters here in Salt Lake. And then the, the second thing is, I know the Jazz have struggled defensively in this series. They've, they've honestly struggled on the perimeter defensively the entire season and haven't been able to stop the Nuggets very much at all. But they've still got a reputation is probably the wrong word. They've got Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert is the best defensive player on the planet. Uh, you know, all props to Giannis Antetokounmpo and his Defensive Player of the Year award that was awarded, what, two days ago? No, it was yesterday. That was yesterday. But Rudy's the best defensive player on the planet right now. And so having him on their side, I think, gives the Jazz a really good chance. All you've got to do is lock in for a couple stretches in Game 6, and they should be able to pull out that win. They're still going to get good shots, and those shots are going to fall. I, I think I'm confident in saying that I think the Jazz are going to win game six and they're going to be able to advance to round two. But I'll, I'll give the caveat, if they don't win game six, game seven is going to be really tough for the Jazz. It is. Um, I heard this from BYU basketball a couple weeks ago for the first time. I thought it was really interesting. So they're a huge volleyball school, right? And so their volleyball program, had kind of eaten their basketball program a little bit. And BYU said, for us to win, their goal every game is they want to get, I think they said six, eight, somewhere around there, what they call kills. And what they said is that's three defensive stops in a row. If you can get back-to-back-to-back stops eight times in a game, you're going to be in a great position to win because that's, boom, 24 zeros right there. And I think the Jazz have to do the same thing. The offense is going to get rolling for the Nuggets. They're a great, great, great offense. We've seen that. But the Jazz can come out and get eight, three consecutive stops this game then things are going to go pretty well. And that's not a long-term, we're going to shut you down for six minutes, that's case. Next 90 seconds, let's see if we can lock down. And so we'll see how that goes. You got time for a couple fun facts for you, Brian? I got some time. Of course, let's, All right. let's do it. So, this series of 
lose, win three in a row, then lose, has played out 12 times in NBA history. The team up 3-2 has won game six nine out of those 12 times, and then game seven two out of those three times. So 11-1 total. The Jazz obviously aren't playing at home for game six, but 75% chance in history that this team will close it out. That's good. Obviously, it's our own series, though, so we still got to go out and do it. We can't trust some number from 1985. Second, Brian, I know you don't believe in home court advantage. Right <laughs> Not now. in the bubble. But Not in the bubble. The Jazz in this series are 3-0. There's two arenas they're playing in. The Jazz are 3-0 at the arena and 0-2 at the field house. And game six is at the arena where they won games two, three, and four. So if you want to buy into that, that maybe the Jazz are playing better in the arena than the field house, there you go. You know what? I'll take any positive numbers you can give me after yesterday. Now, I do got to be honest. The Jazz would go 0-4 in the regular season at the arena and 3-1 and at the field house. So it's completely flipped in the playoffs. So that could probably is just fluky. <laughs> but I'm a role that we're 3-0 in the arena in the playoffs. Game six is at the arena. Game seven location has not been decided yet. Well, hey, so you're telling me there's a chance that one of the 12 teams that, that has come back from 3-1 in that, in that particular permutation, if there's a team in the NBA that could do that, it's probably the Nuggets, given the fact that they have the two stars that they have and they're built in the way that they're built. Uh, it's going to take a, a Herculean effort, don't get me wrong. But I, as a Nuggets fan, given the fact that they that Game 3 happened, it, it kind of colored my view on the series a little bit. Uh, the Nuggets have larger problems than just this series that they're going to have to address. But they finished the, they finished the fourth quarter yesterday with five players averaging the age of 24. Uh, you have Jokic, who's 25, you have Grant, who's 26, and you have Dozier, Murray, and Porter, uh, who are all 23. Actually, Porter's 22. So I think it's actually under that just a little bit. But the fact that they're able to put those three guys, that those five guys out there and get the results that they did, the Nuggets still have a really bright future, even if they lose this series. Nuggets fans need to know that. It's going to be okay. Um, <laughs> but this is a gut-check time to see whether they're ready to go home or not. And they weren't ready to go home in Game 5. Maybe they're not ready to go home in Game 6, and we can talk about a Game 7 soon. So one question for you. Say the Nuggets lose either in 6 or 7. Does this season need expectations or fall below expectations for Nuggets fans? Oh, it falls below. I think that last, last year, last year they, they were one game away from the Western Conference Finals. It was a little bit of a fluky run given the teams that they faced, but they lost to a team that they were pretty comparable to in the Portland Trailblazers. And this year, they're going to lose to a team that they're pretty comparable to in the Utah Jazz, if, that, if that's the case. So, I think you look at that if you're a Nuggets fan, if you're if you're a member of the Nuggets organization, and you say we didn't make any progression this year. Uh, Paul Millsap really fell off. Torrey Craig was was not not good enough as a defender against Donovan Mitchell. Uh, Gary Harris and Will Barton were non-factors again in the playoffs. Uh, if you're a Nuggets if you're a Nuggets person in the organization, you're looking to make some changes in the offseason. Even if they win this series, I think that they're, they're probably still going to make some changes. But it, to me, it was very clear after Game 3 that, that changes are coming no matter what. And what about the injuries? Is there a notion around Nuggets Twitter that is it an excuse? Is it a valid reasoning? Is it a crutch to lean on? How big of a deal are these injuries when looking big picture for the season? It's big but not big enough that, that you make an excuse about this series. I think on one hand, if you're the Nuggets, you think, okay, hey, if we have Gary Harris and Will Barton, then you probably win the series. 
On the other hand, you say, but they still gave up completely in game three. They still completely gave up. Um, that, that happens whether those guys are on the floor or not in all likelihood. So I think there, there's definitely some factors there. Uh, if you're thinking just specific, like, like game plan specifically, Gary Harris and Will Barton would be two of the potential defenders against Donovan Mitchell, and then they would complete the, the starting or the closing five, if you will, against, uh, like, if you have Murray Porter and Jokic, if you add Harris and Barton into that, then you're looking pretty good. If you, you could throw in Grant in there, and those six guys are, are looking pretty good if they're all at full strength. Uh, that's a versatile, fun team, and I think Nuggets fans are really hoping to see that. The fact that they can't see that is a really big problem for the offseason, more so than, than in the playoffs. Like, you, Will Barton was really good this year. He was our boy on Bogdanovich. Uh, like, he's, he's very he awesome. Piece. Uh, two-way wing. His defense was much improved, uh, but he's definitely the secondary playmaker when Jamal Murray's on the floor. Uh, the ability for him to be able to go out and do that on a consistent basis uh, it shouldn't be understated, and and Gary Harris, of course, would be the primary Donovan Mitchell defender, so that can't be understated in any way, shape, or form. And I think we're the same way with Boyan. Would we have won the series with Boyan? Probably. Are we, should we care if we lose a series without Boyan? No, like it wasn't going to change the final outcome of the season that dramatically. So I was just curious on those. Um, is there anything else you guys want to talk about? I think I'm good. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. It's a good, fun conversation with you guys. Yeah, All right, well, best of luck over the next, I'm going to say day, but it's probably days. <laughs> um, and we'll see how things play out. One day at a time, baby, one day at a time. So so game six is going to be Thursday afternoon, another 2 o'clock tip-off. That game will be on ESPN. Uh, just want to say a big thank you to you, Ryan, for joining us once again. It's, it's a lot of fun having these conversations. Always good to get a fresh viewpoint on the series, and a viewpoint from another team is always great because I watch the Jazz an awful lot. I don't always get a chance to watch the Nuggets. Definitely not seeing them 82, 82 times in a year. But, Ryan, where can the, the listeners find you? Uh, well, I'm the site manager over at Denver Stiffs, so you can find my work over there, uh, denverstiffs.com. It's the SB Nation-affiliated blog over there. Uh, and you can find my work on Twitter at NBA Blackburn, uh, B-L-A-C-K-B-U-R-N. And McCade, how about you? You can find me at McCade P8. This is M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. And then you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at bpriest24. That's at B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. And thank you for taking the time to listen to Home Court Press. Please, if you've got a couple minutes, you like what you hear, take a moment to subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast so we can continue growing this. Hopefully the Jazz are able to pull out a win in Game 6, but... We'll see tomorrow, and I definitely don't want to be watching jazz basketball on Saturday. I'll tell you that much, guys.